Cedar Street Baptist Church, I love you very much. And I'm grateful to be in God's house here this morning with all of you. And, and can I tell you for a moment how proud I am of this church? And not only this church, but this community. Um, yesterday was a tremendous blessing in so many ways, even in the midst of all the shortcomings of the power being out. Um, so the night before, I was watching uh, a bunch of sermons on YouTube, which I tend to do. I'm a bit of a nerd that way. And uh, I was watching this one sermon from uh, one of my favorite writers. His name is Dallas Willard. He's a late Christian philosopher. He used to be a Southern Baptist preacher, and then he became a professor at USC out in California. And he just was an amazing man of God. I've read so many of his books. And he said that in all his years of ministry, what he's learned is the worst thing that he's ever done is just to get in God's way. And he said, the best thing I've ever learned is just to be made available to be used of God. He said, I just need to be available and surrendered for God to use me however he would use me. And I heard that the night before the power goes out. So then, of course, yesterday I'm laying in bed and I get a text message from Joel Hoger and he says, the whole city has lost power except one strip that Cedar Street happens to have. So we have power at the church. And so I'm laying in bed and I'm saying, okay, God. You're calling on us to do something. I don't even know where to start. And so that the super organizational uh, prior planning person that I am, I try to figure out how this would work in 10 steps. And I just took a deep breath. And then I got a text from Jerry O'Brien. And Jerry O'Brien just said, I got a bunch of food in my freezer. is going to go bad and a bunch of people who need it. Why don't we just show up and cook it and see what happens? And so she, I said, great idea. So it got uh, Jody to, to send the messages out. And so we're just going to take food and we're just going to cook it. Whatever we have, we'll make. And then I was praying, God, we need someone who, who has some creativity in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, Bobby Heath shows up and it was like an episode of Cutthroat Kitchen. If you've ever seen that on the Food Network, he said, Bobby, we got five ingredients. Go to work. And he kind of laughed. He said, this is what I live for. We gave, him, we gave him four onions. We gave him a bunch of deer meat. We gave him a bunch of hamburger meat. And he just started putting things together. My father-in-law, who's here from Savannah, we put him to work right away. He was defrosting the meat, and we were just putting it together. And, uh, and we prayed that people would bring food and that people would come. And I would say at the end of our time together, we fed over 100 people. Uh, we, amen. Uh, we had help from First Baptist. Brother Tom Osborne came and joined us, and he brought some of the to-go boxes uh, to f- uh, fill some more. And then we actually got a call from the Church of God, who... Uh, had some folks from Savannah and the, out, the outskirts of the area that needed some help as well. And we had just about enough boxes for the exact amount of people that they had that they'd been praying for, we'd have food for. It's just amazing that God sovereignly is in control of all of this. And what he calls us to do is just to be surrendered to him, just to be available to him. And that was a good reminder for me. Uh, you know, times yesterday, I, I had to stop the kitchen crew and pray for a minute, and then an hour later, I'm still, I'm still in my humanity, you know, just, just saying, God, what do we do now? And Jerry's laughing at me and saying, just believe, just believe. And so we're just cooking and cooking and cooking, and, and we got the Sykes Brothers Grill, and uh, I'm so grateful that Brother Ricky, he was manning the grill there for several hours, and we even had games for the kids, and it was just an amazing time. Um, I'm so grateful to be a part of this church and this community. I'm just so grateful, and I'm most of all, grateful for our Lord and for his heart to provide for his people. As Brother Ronnie read in our uh, psalm reading this morning, he does hear the cries of the afflicted. He does hear the cries of the afflicted. Well, we are journeying in now as our walk through the book of Mark is now taking us to chapter 2. We spent a good eight weeks in chapter 1 savoring God's word, word by word, verse by verse, and now we're moving on to chapter 2. 
And as I often like to do, I want to pose a question to prepare your heart and your mind as we get ready to walk into chapter 2. And the question that I want to ask you today is this. Have you ever gone after something you really wanted and instead got something you really needed? All right, think about that. Have you ever gone after something you really wanted and instead got something you really needed? I thought about how that would work in my own life, and I can think of many examples, but just to share one with you, uh, most of you know I, had a, I came to, to Metter, Georgia here in, in the winter of 2009. In fact, I moved to Metter, Georgia the day that Michael Guido passed away. It's always a, an important checkpoint in my life. I, I missed meeting that wonderful man by 24 hours. Uh, but here's, here's kind of what happened. I had a great job at Pineland, was working there over two years, and I just had a hunger to know more about God's Word. I'd been saved in 2006, and so I had my first Bible, and I was reading it, and I was desperate to know God. And so I decided, I heard about the Guido Bible Institute, this, this upstart little Bible school right at the Guido Evangelistic Association, and all I really wanted was to go there and to learn more about Scripture. In fact, I sat around the table with about 10 other men, a few women as well, and we just we had an Old Testament class and a New Testament class. It wasn't a certified school as it is now. It was just a time for us to get together. And as I began to read and began to grow and began to really hunger for God's Word, He convicted me that I had a calling on my life for ministry. And I, I came to this church and eventually became the youth pastor. And then I had a deeper conviction that I should go to seminary and train for vocational ministry. And then while there, I came back here for a revival, and I was convicted that God called me to pastor. And none of those things that I ever planned in the midst of going after what I wanted was just to know more about God. I found out more about what it is that I really needed, and that was to prepare and listen to the calling on God, of God on my life to be a preacher. How many times in our life do we go after what we really want, and only then do we find out what it is that we really need? I want us to think about that today as we walk through this passage in Mark chapter 2 and we, we think about the life of a paralytic and his four friends who come for a physical healing. And then we also are going to talk about some skeptical Pharisees who are coming to try to trap Jesus. You see, in today's passage, again, we see two different groups of people who come to see Jesus. All right, as we'll see in just a moment, we have a paralytic, all right, physically paralyzed from his head down to his toes, and he's carried by four friends and they're seeking a healing from Christ. And then we're also going to see a group of Pharisees seeking to condemn the teachings of Christ. Both parties are surprised when Jesus offers forgiveness of the paralytic sin. The first group, because they're not asking for forgiveness. And the second group, because they didn't believe that Christ had the authority to offer forgiveness. In both situations, we are forced to confront the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who has the authority to forgive sin and that this forgiveness is the single most important thing that every human being needs. But like the paralytic group and the Pharisees, we too are guilty of fighting his forgiveness. So, please turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you would stand out of the tradition of this church and out of the, re- the uh, reverence of God's holy, infallible, and errant word, let's read God's word together. Again, we are in Mark. We are in chapter 2. And we will be reading verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord starting in Mark 2, chapter, or, or verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. 
And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your sovereignty, Father. And we thank you for your Son, We sing and worship, Father, because you have called us, and you've called us under one name, only one name under heaven by which all of us may be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we know this is a forgiveness that we fight, that we don't think we need, or sometimes we don't think that Jesus has the authority or power to offer, Father, but we proclaim truth today that this forgiveness is something that we need more than the air that we breathe. Father, I pray that we would come to know today as we walk through the passage what is important and that in the important need of forgiveness that your son has the ability to forgive all sins, past, present, and future. So, Father, we cling to this truth today. Open up our hearts and our minds to receive it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. So in these 12 verses... There's four major checkpoints that I want to kind of walk through today. And so the first of those four checkpoints, I want to stop and say, let's look in verses 1 through 4 at a sacrificial faith. Okay, let's read it again, verses 1 through 4. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, as we begin to think about this this sacrificial faith of these four men carrying the paralytic, let me set the scene and let me do that by using a parallel account. One of the beauties of the Gospels is you have four accounts and there's different angles representing the same truth. And Luke, the great historian, has a wonderful word-by-word kind of view of what's taking place here. And so if you have your Bible, you can also put a thumb on Luke chapter 5 because that's the parallel account of what we're reading here in Mark chapter 2. So let me just read a couple verses from Luke 5, and then we'll pick this apart, and we'll get a mind's-eye view of what exactly is taking place in the scene right here. So Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Here's the parallel account of the paralytic. It says... On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on 
a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with the bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So, here's the parallel account. We'll take what we've read in Mark, we'll take what we've read in Luke, we'll put the pieces together, and we'll see the full picture of what we're looking at, okay? So, what's the setting? Picture a home, all right, in Capernaum, where people are filling the home so much that they're pressing in on Jesus. There is no room whatsoever. This is what we would call a full-blown modern-day fire hazard. All right, from wall to wall, there's people, and they're wanting to hear Jesus, and they're wanting to see Jesus as he is preaching to them the word. All right, the crowd's coming. They want to verify the truth of the claims that have spread all over Galilee about his healings and his teaching on the kingdom of God. And then you have the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and they are there as skeptics. They've heard all about Jesus, and they're coming to to see for themselves and listen for themselves if he is, in fact, a false prophet, and they're wanting to trap him. But it says here in Luke's account, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Jesus was there prepared to do what the Father had called him to do. Now, there's three main figures in the setting here. I I want you to get all three. You have Jesus. He's the focal point. Okay, he's getting ready to heal, but he's in the midst of preaching the word, and he's surrounded by so many different people. Then you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're surrounding him as well. They've come from all over Galilee to hear him. And then all of a sudden, as he's preaching, these big chunks of the roof are falling down on people's heads as they look up, and a paralytic on a stretcher is being lowered through the roof right before Jesus by four of his friends. Now, I think we need to feel the drama of this. They're hearing the word. They're hearing the breaking of the roof, the large chunks of soil that are landing on people's heads. And let's put in historical perspective what the rooftop must have been like. Okay, this is really important. So in my research, I have found that traditionally in Galilee, in biblical times, they had flat roofs. Okay, and these flat roofs were used for work and storage and drying fruit and even sleeping. So we, we look at the roof as kind of wasted storage for us. It's just a place to keep us warm and keep, keep shelter from the storm. But this was a functional rooftop, all right? So there were, there were stairs that would either on the side of the house or the back of the house in some of the places. And once you got on the rooftop, it was a solid, flat layer. And you had these timber cross beams laid parallel, and they were packed tight with reeds and thistles and branches at about three to five inches of soil. And it was packed hard and packed tight. And again, on this roof, they worked. They, had, they stored things. They dried fruit. And even on certain nights, they would sleep on the rooftop and get a nice cool breeze. I was reminded of that last night, how sometimes that cool breeze can be better than air conditioning. It's uh, something sometimes that we forget. So think about the faith, the sacrificial faith of these friends of the paralytic. They've got to carry the paralytic up the stairs. And when they get on the roof, they literally have to dig through earth three to five inches of hard soil and thistles and branches and reeds and through the cross beams, lower him down before Jesus Christ. This is premeditated. All right, this is not something that spontaneously happened. They decided in their faith that Jesus Christ had the power to heal their friend and they were going to do anything they had to do to get their friend before the Lord Jesus Christ. That is sacrificial faith. So before we move on to the next checkpoint in the story here, let's stop for a point of application. Let me ask all of you this. 
What are you willing to do to bring the ones that you love to Jesus Christ? What are you willing to do to bring the ones that you love to Jesus Christ? What is it that we do? All right? Do we bring them to church? Do we share with them the gospel? Do we share our testimony of what Christ has done in our lives? Do we labor in prayer for their salvation? There are so many uh, family members and friends that I still have in my life that I pray for often who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am often convicted that I don't do what I could or should do to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have said before, there is an element of the Holy Spirit drawing that only God can do. But we play the active role in being vessels used by the Holy Spirit. If a person gets saved during a church service by the preaching of the Word... God also blesses the person that brought them to church to hear the word. We play an active role in this. And God has called us by the faith of the friends in this story to do whatever it is that we can to also bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sacrificial faith. But number two, our second checkpoint in the story, let's look at a surprising response. Okay, verses 5 through 7. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let me share what I love about this passage. Jesus Christ is a surprising Savior. He's always surprising people by, by thinking ahead in His divine wisdom. He knows what we don't know. I mean, think about some of the stories that we've shared as we walk through Mark 1. All right, Jesus leaves town when large groups of people tell him to stay in town. He stays in town when distant friends, distant friends tell him to leave town. And now when everyone's waiting for him to heal the paralytic, his response is, your sins are forgiven. It's like this big buildup. We're waiting for this moment, this crescendo to take place. Everyone's watching him. The paralytics laid before him. The Pharisees are waiting. They're waiting for the healing. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, my son. And everyone's like, wait, what? I thought he came here for healing. Jesus completely flips things backwards. In fact, this is opposite of what Jesus typically does. Jesus almost always meets the physical needs and then points to the spiritual needs. But in his wisdom in this passage, he meets the spiritual need first, then points to the physical need second. And why does he do this? It's a twofold purpose. He does it for the paralytic so that the paralytic and his friends will understand that the forgiveness that he's offering is more important than the physical healing that he's seeking. But he's also doing it in front of the Pharisees to show them that he has authority to forgive all sins because he is God. That's a surprising response. You know, I, in my crazy mind, sometimes as I'm walking through Bible passages, I think of songs that would match them perfectly. And I don't often quote the rolling stones behind the pulpit. All right, But as I was reading this passage, all I could think of was that, that lyric in one of the Rolling Stones songs, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. They came for a healing, and they got a lot more than that. Amen? It's a twofold purpose. And Jesus and his surprising response is showing us, even in our lives today, how it is that we often fight his forgiveness. We often think it's not the most important thing in our life. 
Think about this for just a moment. Why is it that you've come into the house of God today? Why have you come to church today? If we, if we could lay bare the truth of why it is that we've come to God's house, I would say in this room, we've all probably come for, a, for several different reasons. All right, some are, some are hoping for God just to bless them. Some are hoping that he'll help solve a problem and then go living the rest of their lives under their own power. Some think, as I'm preaching this message, that it's for someone else. All right, some of you may have said, I've prayed the sinner's prayer years ago, and I'm a believer, so any message on salvation has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the person sitting next to me. But the entire purpose for Jesus Christ coming to redeem his people is not just to get us into heaven, but get heaven into us. All right, I, I, I heard someone say this long ago, and it has stuck with me so long. We come to Jesus Christ because we wanted to get into heaven when we die, but Jesus Christ wants us to get into heaven before we die. We are, get, we are living in a, an abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the thing that we need most is the forgiveness of our sins, and although salvation can happen in a moment... Forgiveness is a constant process that's taking place in our life. I've said several weeks ago, it's like the back of the shampoo bottle. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. All right? This is the walk that we're called to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be cleansed. And it's the most important thing we need. And that moves us on to the third checkpoint of our story, a superior authority a superior authority. Let's read verses 8 through 11. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, right here, we see three things that point to who Jesus Christ really is. We see his wisdom, we see his authority, and we see his power. Think about the wisdom of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the wisdom to read the Pharisees' minds and hearts before they even say a word. The same people who are questioning that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, they have to come face to face with the fact that he just read their minds. Only God can do that. He knew what their hearts and minds were thinking before they even said it. There's such irony in that passage. They're saying, you're not God, and Jesus is proving that he's God because he's saying that he can forgive sins, and he's reading their minds when he knows what they're thinking after he says it. He has wisdom that only God has. Again, then he has authority. His declaration to forgive sins points to an authority that only God can have. And then power. If he spoke with mere words that sins could be forgiven, but had no power to back up his claim, then he wouldn't be the Son of God. But in his power, he had the ability to command a paralytic to rise up and walk, and guess what he does? He walks. He picks up his mat and goes home. And with every single step, God's glory is being magnified because Jesus is a superior authority. Now that moves us to our fourth and final point here in the story, and that's verse 12, and that's a special healing. Verse 12 says this, And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. 
Think about the reaction of the paralytic. He knew he had been changed. He immediately picked up his bed and walked. Every step he took with that mat in his hand, as people were amazed, God's glory is being magnified over and over and over. The people are absolutely amazed. They say, we have never seen anything like this. These are people that already know that Jesus Christ has this amazing authority and this amazing power because they've heard it spread all over Galilee, but yet they see it with their eyes for the very first time, and it is absolute amazement. When this takes place, they say, we never saw anything like this. One thing I love about this, too, is that Jesus Christ, as he always does, he goes above and beyond what it is that we need. He does meet the physical healing at the end, does he not? He points first to the greater spiritual need of forgiveness, but he doesn't stop there. He goes all the way to the physical healing that he originally came for. Jesus is so, he always goes above and beyond what it is that we need. And sometimes we don't slow down enough to see it. He's physically healed, and now he can go proclaiming the good news to the rest of the world that needs to hear it. That the greater need is the forgiveness that now he can be restored into an eternal relationship with the living God. Let me say this as we begin to draw to a close here. The power to provide physical healing still points to the most important reality, Jesus Christ's authority to forgive our sins. Many loved the signs and the wonders of Christ, but few understood the deeper spiritual reality of Christ's redemption. Both yesterday and today, there are those who are afflicted and those who are skeptics, and both groups continue to fight his forgiveness. So that brings us to our conclusion, and our conclusion is this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has the authority to forgive sins. Are you fighting His forgiveness because you don't think you need it, or you don't think He can do it? Let me ask that again. Are you fighting His forgiveness today because you don't think you need it, or you don't think He can do it? Again, I don't know the situation in the lives of everyone represented in this room here today. We are at different points in our lives, all right? And there's nothing wrong with coming to God's house asking for a blessing. When I talk about the paralytic and his four friends, I'm not condemning their faith. I mean, they may have come for a physical healing, but at least they came to the Lord Jesus Christ and they did whatever they had to do to get to him, all right? So I I don't condemn anyone who comes into God's house, but think about your heart and your mind. Why is it that you're here today, all right? Some, some are coming strictly for a blessing. You, you maybe have a family member who you are praying to be cured from a sickness. Some of you are praying for a new job that's less stressful and more fulfilling. Some of you are praying for a new diet and exercise plan to help you get back into shape. Some of you want better communication and intimacy with your spouse. Some of you think you need a new spouse. Some want more opportunities for your children to, to, to grow and flourish. Some of you are praying for a better home and a better neighborhood. I don't know what it is. But the one thing that we need more than anything else is the forgiveness of God because we are called to have union with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we need more than power and electricity in Candler County, Georgia. We need a relationship with the living God, a living, breathing relationship. I'm often reminded of my, one of my favorite passages in John 15, where, and I've, I've said it before. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
The forgiveness that God offers us is not just to get us out of hell and to get us into heaven. It's to get heaven into us. It's to have this union with Jesus Christ where every day we walk with him and grow in our fellowship with him. Let me leave you with a closing illustration. Several years ago, I had a professor who was actually at the Guido Bible Institute, and he was telling me a story of years before that when he was trying to teach people the importance of having this, this wonderful relationship with the living God. He says, as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, which means Jesus not only saved you, but he's in you, and you're growing in that relationship. And he got so frustrated as the, as the students were staring at him and they didn't really understand what he was saying that he took a Coke bottle and he threw it at the pond. And the Coke bottle sunk down into the pond, and he pointed at the water, and he said, now the bottle's in the water, and the water's in the bottle. Think about that. The bottle's in the water, and the water's in the bottle. Both are indwelling one another. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. This understanding of union with Christ is the most important thing that we could possibly need. And it's, it's something that happens maybe at a pace that we don't quite understand because we don't slow down enough to see what is happening in our lives. I don't just want to be saved. If heaven was a place where Jesus wasn't there, I wouldn't want to be there. It's not just that we want to get out of hell and into heaven. We want this eternal abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think because of the needs in our lives, we fight the forgiveness that's being offered because we think we need something more than Jesus Christ himself. Let us not fight this forgiveness that God offers to us. Again, even if you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there may be indwelling sin in your life right now that is hurting your current relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess it. Receive the forgiveness that he offers. Respond in repentance and faith and be restored in this union with Christ. He's recreating you into the image of his son that you would have union with him forever. Let us no longer fight his forgiveness, but cling to the Lord Jesus Christ with faith. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and again we thank you We thank you for this wonderful forgiveness that you've offered us, not only unto salvation, but also to sanctification, for this abiding relationship with your Son, our Savior. Father, I pray if anyone in this room would not know Jesus Christ as Lord, that you would remove hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, and that they would respond to the message and repentance and faith, confessing with their tongue and believing in their heart that Christ is Lord and has risen from the dead. For those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that they would confess all abiding sin in life right now and grow closer to the Lord Jesus and be made more into his image. Father, help us. Help us to understand what it is that we need more than the air that we breathe. Help us to cling to you. Help us to be more like your son and help us to have union with your son each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.